I love to introduce Casey because she has the most fascinating um, uh, resume. Um, Casey delivers seminars and coaching on communication, writing, interpersonal skills, and career management for a wide variety of clients, including NFL football players, Fortune 100 clients, federal employees, and a number of other um, customers. She recently has retired from coordinating the Undergraduate Business Communication Program at Georgia State University. She's an author of six books for major publishers such as Random House, McGraw-Hill, Barron's. She's a graduate of the University of Georgia and also did postgraduate work at Stanford University. Um, But the thing I love here that she adds is that her passions are prayer, which she's going to be talking about tonight, teaching, creative writing, great business strategy, and her son, Houston. So I want to introduce you now to Casey. Many of you know her. She kicked off our very first Gemini Wisdom meeting, and so we're glad to have her back to speak to us. Casey? Thank you. <clears throat> How many of you, let's cue this up here. How many of you have a friend that believes the best about you no matter what? Somebody could say anything about you or uh, tell a rumor about you, and no matter what, they're going to believe the best about you. Do you have someone in your life like that? Maybe a family member? Okay. And when you're talking to someone like that, you just trust them so completely. I have a friend like that, and my friend... If you were to tell her that I had robbed a bank, she would not believe that. She would say, no, I know Casey. She wouldn't rob a bank. And then if you would show her a picture of me actually robbing the bank, she would look at that picture for a moment, and she would know me, and she'd say, well, what I figure happened here is that they, were, they took hostages. And so Casey was told that they would start shooting people if she didn't rob the bank. And so she did this to save lives. So actually, Casey's the hero of this story. That's how much my friend believes in me. So do you also have a friend, or maybe someone you've met, could have been in school, could have been at work, that doesn't think the best of you? And I'm not going to ask for names. But Think about someone who, for some reason, they don't get you, they don't understand your heart, they don't think the best of you. Now, if you go into a dire situation, which one of those people, the first or the second, do you want to be with? The second one. I mean, the first one. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm not good on numbers. That's the way God is. Now, if you are not believing the best out of God, it's not going to affect his performance. He wants to bless you, and he's going to bless you one way or the other, but you're not going to achieve all the blessings God has in store for you unless you believe the best about him. When you go into prayer and you don't believe the best about God, he's not hanging back. You're hanging back. So you're not going to go forward. And when I prepared the first time about prayer, it was very much a how-to prayer. And that was not at all what God wanted. And in my prayers to him about tonight, he was very, very clear that he was not so much interested in how you enter into prayer with him. He wants you to know how he enters into prayer with you. And the way he talked to me about you was that 
some of you have not believed the best about him. You haven't fully understood how he longs to bless you and what he wants to do for you. And that's what a lot of this is about tonight. I was in a store recently. I was in Tuesday morning. love Tuesday morning. My son hates it. He won't go in. And uh, so I was in Tuesday morning. You know, it's big, wide-open spaces and kind of bare floor. And there was the cutest little girl in there. She was about two years old, and she had this black bobbed hair and big black eyes, and she was singing at the top of her lungs, and she had a little skirt on, and she would swirl her skirts like this, and she would dance to this corner, and then she would dance to that corner, singing the whole time. She danced all over the place. She didn't know any of the words, but she was singing very loudly anyway. And she would sing and sing. It was like jibber-jabber, jibber-jabber, jibber-jabber. No words that you could possibly tell, except she did know three words, and they were, wet it go. Once in a while, you would hear... Wet it go, wet it go, jibber jabber, jibber jabber, jibber jabber, wet it go, wet it go, all the way through. So I looked around, and everybody in that store was smiling. And I, my first thought was a happy one. I thought, you know, if we'd had an opera singer here who knew every word, they couldn't, that person could not have brought the joy that the little girl brought, who didn't know any words except wet it go. And then the second thought I had was great loss. And I thought, I'm so sorry I grew up and became a grown-up. Because grown-ups won't sing out loud if they don't know the words. They just won't. And they certainly won't sing loudly. And it just, the Lord put this in my heart that he looks at us like that little girl. He really wants us just to pour out our hearts, and he's not particularly interested if we have the right words or not. And the worst thing that I could do with this presentation tonight is to leave you with the idea that you have to do prayer a certain way, or that you have to do prayer the way I do it. I'm going to share with you some things that I've learned along the way, but every single person here has a different way that they communicate with their father. And your way is going to be right for you. So I'm just going to give you some principles here. The first principle is you have an enemy, and you can follow along if you want to. There are, there are hands at, handouts that look sort of like this on the table if you want to grab one. You have an enemy who is a prowling lion who is prowling around and trying to encourage you to trust yourself. Prayer is your only defense for that because you can't trust yourself. Your way of looking at things is not the same way God looks at things. And so what he wants more than anything is for you to trust him with the outcome. Trust him if after you pray you don't get the, the answer right away that you want. You have to keep on trusting him and believing him because Satan is there trying to get you to believe that your prayers are not going to be answered. That's one of his chief tactics. So this is the way Satan is. We, we look at Satan like sometimes like how he is in the movies. And in the movies, Satan comes up and he offers you a clear-cut choice. He says, okay, you can either believe me or you can believe the Word of God. You, you have a choice there. But that's not the way Satan does. In the real world, what he does is he takes the circumstances of your life and he distorts them. 
So if you've ever been in a fun house or a crazy house that looks something like this at a carnival, what they do is they have masters of deception. They have master carpenters who take a room and they slant everything, the windows, the doors, and everything, and even the floorboards, so that if you are trying to go forward straight and true, you feel like you're going the wrong direction. You feel like everything is out of sorts. You feel like this couldn't be the right way. And that's what Satan does. He takes the circumstances of your life and he distorts them. He distorts your perception. And he makes you feel that God's way is not going to be the most rewarding way for you. It's not going to be the best way for you. And that, of course, is a lie. The second truth is the people that God loved the most did not, sorry about that, did not hesitate to complain to him. They complained loudly and they complained vividly. And so I picked out some people who were famous for having spectacular answer prayers. And I wanted to show you what their conversations with God looked like. Moses, of course, we think of him as parting the Red Sea, just spectacular, like Hollywood movie kind of prayers that were answered. When God first asked Moses, Moses to, answer, to uh, lead the Israelites, I want you to hear what Moses said. Moses answered in number one on page two, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Not exactly an enthusiastic response. And look down here in 13. So God talks to him a little bit more and then God comes back to him and uh, asks him again to be a leader. And in 13, he says, Pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. Okay, now this is the dialogue between Moses and God, and Moses is about to have spectacular answered prayer. Now, the Lord, did, he did get angry with Moses. He doesn't like to hear that, and you shouldn't stay in the complaining stage forever. But he did help he did help Moses. He went ahead, even though that wasn't the answer God wanted to hear, God helped him anyway. So I want you to look at another great, this is the one that, this is Elijah's to me that is the most impressive prayer warrior in the whole Bible. I mean, he did amazing prayers, just, uh, you know, spectacles of prayer. And right after one of those, Elijah says here in verse 4, Instead of saying, well, this was really great, Lord, thank you. He said, I just want to die. He said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. That's how down he was after having answered prayer. So the Lord didn't knock him down and say, you know, send a bolt of lightning or whatever. He let him rest. And he said, he sent an angel to him that touched him. And he said, get up and eat. And that wasn't all. After he rested a little while, ate a little while, God went back and sent the angel a second time to minister to him. And he said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. There are times you have to go to the Lord and you have to say, this journey is too much for me. You can say that to him. And he will answer that prayer one way or the other. Then David, when we think of prayer, we think of the Psalms. That's prayer all over the place. So there are a lot of psalms like Psalm 44, and they're not all praising, believe me. Uh, in 44, if you go on over to page 4, this is David really talking to his God. 
And he says, and it's like an accusation. This is a very honest dialogue. He says, but now you have rejected and humbled us. This is David talking to God. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors. The scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long. And my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon me. All this came upon us. Though, and this is the part I want you to see, though we had not forgotten you. And this is another thing that I really felt like in my prayer that the Lord was telling me to tell you. He knows how hard some of you are seeking to follow him. He really understands that you are pressing forward, sometimes in difficult circumstances, and that some of these disappointments that you're having with your families, with your careers, with friendships, with dating relationships, it's not necessarily because you have sinned. Sometimes it's the opposite. But David is saying to him, we have We had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us. Have you ever felt crushed by God? Sifted like sand, like wheat? Have you ever thought about all the things that have to be crushed before they're the most beautiful they're going to be, like diamonds? He gets almost sarcastic in 23 when he says, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? But he ends theologically in the right place. At the end, he says, Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. He does not at the end say, Help me out because I've done all these things for you, God because I'm a righteous person. He says, rescue me because you are good and because of your love. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says in the quote in blue, when you're engaged in prayer, if you pray your strength, you're going to get nothing. But if you pray your weakness, you're going to prevail against whatever it is that you're praying about. And I think that is very, very, very true. Okay, the third truth is trust his character When you don't see the results you want, don't trust your eyes, trust his character. And that's because God can do no wrong. He's incapable of doing the wrong thing. So there's a lot of confidence in that. I'm excited for you because God is going to give each of you all these experiences in the next few decades. I look in, in life in terms of decades now that I'm 66. But you have those ahead of you that are going to broaden and deepen your belief, and your sureness about prayer. And one of the experiences that he gave me was the opportunity to be a parent. And that was one of the things that helped me see things a little bit more the way God sees them. Because there was a time when my son was little that I was the greatest obstacle to his happiness. I was the, the barrier to all the good things in life especially electrical sockets. 
My son, when he was crawling before he could walk, he was fascinated by electrical sockets. And so he very much, I guess he had seen a workman working on them. He wanted to stick a fork in them or a pencil or a screwdriver, anything. And if that wouldn't do, a finger would do. I had put every kind of um, childhood protection thing on them that you could possibly put on. Nothing stopped this child. So I would have to swoop in, and I would have to pull him away, and I would say to him every time, Houston, this is very dangerous. And he also was in love with paint and chemicals. And one of the things that I had to do when he was very young, I couldn't unload the groceries from the car without watching him constantly and how do you do that and also put the groceries in the house you know you have to figure these things out so I found this system where I would lock the back and the front door of the garage and in my garage I had nothing except cushions I had the patio cushions so if he fell down it wouldn't hurt him and he was just barely walking and so I was at the back of the car and I was unloading the groceries out of the back of the car and He was in the front playing. I could see his little head bobbing up and down. What I didn't know is, is that the yard man had painted the fence that day, but he didn't finish. So he left the paint. He hid the paint up under the patio cushions and his tools, and then he left. Now, I didn't see him do that, but apparently Houston had seen him do that, and he was lying in wait, biding his time to get to that paint. So when I started unloading the groceries out of the back of the car, this, sorry, this is one-year-old Houston painting my three-day-old car. It was a brand new car. And he had a great method. He would take the hammer, because he couldn't find a paintbrush, and he would dip it down in the paint, and he would slap, just slap it on like that. And then he would take his hands, and he'd go like this, so that he got great coverage. He covered the entire front of my brand new Volvo. So when I saw him do that, when I came around and realized what he was doing, he was so engrossed, I knew he was okay at that moment, but at any moment, I knew he'd probably put his hands up to his eyes, and I thought that could be bad. So I just had to sort of scoop him up from behind and take him and put him in the laundry tub and wash all that off him. You have never heard such screaming and yelling. He was furious with me, furious. And when I got him all cleaned up and we weren't in danger of the paint in the eyes anymore, I had to say to him again, Houston, that was very dangerous. So when we took him to Santa Claus the very first time and he sat on Santa's lap, Santa said to him, what do you want for Christmas? He said, I want something very dangerous. That that was his (laughs) only criteria because all the fun things in life were very dangerous. When he was four... I went to pick him up at 4K. He'd only been there a couple of weeks. I thought it was going well. But this day, we were pulling away from the curb, and he had held it together all morning until I picked him up. And as we pulled away from the curb, hot, big tears started rolling down his face. And he looked over at me, and he said, Mom, are we poor? And I said, No, we're not particularly poor. And I said, what makes you ask that? He said, well, the other, there's a lot of other children that when they come to school in the morning, they have these bright silver things. And inside, it looks like delicious things to eat. And I, 
I have a thyroid condition, so I don't eat any processed food. I try not to eat any processed food. And I will, uh, so we cook everything from scratch at my house. And uh, he would have a hot breakfast every morning. He liked grits and eggs. That's what we usually had. But I would make homemade pancakes. And that was what he was living on. And what he saw were Pop-Tarts. But that, because he was deprived of that, because we never had anything like that at our house, it looked magical. It looked so good to him. And I told him, because I didn't want food to be the issue, so I said, we can have those, but I kind of want you to compare that to the homemade pancakes and see what you think. So what I was thinking about when I was thinking about that the other day, I feel like as I listen to all the things that, all the longings and all the disappointments that have gone on uh, for many girls in Genuine Wisdom this year, is that God has something so wonderful in store for you. I don't know what it is, but he does. And some of you are tempted to settle for Pop-Tarts. And what I would like for you to do is to think about Houston at that age. He might as well have been poor because he felt poor. He felt like a poor person. He felt deprived, but he wasn't. But he was suffering everything an impoverished person would. But going forward, trust, if you really know for sure that at the end you're going to be blessed, if you know that for sure, you don't feel impoverished. You don't live life as if you are impoverished. The fourth truth is every good thing that ever happens to you will be a gift from his hand. Your father is a king. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he would give anything to bless you. Never forget when you walk around that you are the daughter of a king. Number five, praise him when you go into prayer. Praise him because you already know he's going to do something fantastic for you. Now, what I do when I go into uh, prayer, um, I, sometimes I'm not in the mood to praise. And the very time that you need to sing is when you are not in the mood to sing. That's the time to sing your praises. And sometimes what I'll do, I have an old hymnal, you can get them on eBay, I'll do that. If I hear a praise song that I really am enjoying in church, I'll run off the words to it because I am not a spontaneous singer in praise. I think Linda talked to you about that last month and that's very natural for her. It's not natural for me. There's something about having the words in front of me that helps me get into it a little bit better. Observation is praise. Just look around. If you, you don't have to look very far to see something to praise God for. I know there last month there was this crepe myrtle and there was a bough with just these beautiful blooms right outside my window. And every time I looked at that, I praised. It's not hard, especially in Atlanta, to find places, reasons to praise the Lord. Scripture, we talked about Psalms. There's a lot of scripture that's praised. You can say other people's praises. What you admire about him and anything that you're in awe of. Think about oceans. Think about mountains. Think about baby fingers. There are just all kinds of things that you can think about. And if you can't think of any of this, on page 7, I put together a list of words that stimulate me to praise. I take these words and I apply them to God and I think of all the ways these fit God. So that's a little tool for you that I'm leaving you with. On page 8, nothing is impossible for God to make happen, so pray big prayers. And pray little prayers too. Pray about everything, but pray big prayers because it's amazing what He can do. One of the things that uh, helped 
build my faith in the Lord about prayer was about 12 or 13 years ago, we had a woman at Apostles who was, um, she went to her doctor and that day she found out that she had cancer and they had done a PET scan, they had done an MRI and she had cancer everywhere. On top of that, in checking out, she found out that even though she had had health insurance her entire life, three months before, her husband had forgotten to pay the premium, and she had no health insurance. She found those two things out at the same time. This particular doctor did not take patients who did not have health insurance. So on top of that, she had to switch doctors, and that's very hard. This had been her doctor for a long time. She had to go to a new doctor. She had to take all the tests over again. Many doctors want to do their own test. So they did the test all over again. That delayed the surgery. So we were waiting and praying. And it seemed kind of unkind that she had to go through that on top of having cancer. So, And we hoped that when they did the second set of tests, they would find out that she didn't have the cancer. But the second set of tests verified she had cancer in multiple organs everywhere. Then somebody found out that there was a special grant for women who had breast cancer, and that was one of the cancers she had, and it would pay many of her bills. But the problem with that was you had to only go to a certain doctor on that list. So for the third time, this woman had to switch doctors, and she had to go through the test for a third time. At this point, you know, you don't want to question God, but you're saying, Lord, this is cruel. This, how could this be right? So the day of her surgery, Julie Van Gorp, who's one of the Bible study teachers here, she and I had um, talked to this woman, and we, we, were going, we said we'd go and pray with her right before her surgery. She was supposed to go into surgery at 10 a.m. So we got there at 9 to pray with her, and they were already in her room taking her to surgery. They said, we're going to take you early. And this woman said, I'm so sorry, no time to pray. So Julie and I, one on one side of the rolling gurney and one on the other side, we're praying. And it wasn't a beautiful prayer. It was like one of those arrow prayers you just shoot up to heaven and you say it very quickly. And it just sort of got the job done. It was not beautiful. So we... We waited. We waited. She was supposed to, we really thought we'd be there for the whole day because it was extensive. But she came back in an hour. And they told us that she had no cancer anywhere in her body. Anywhere. And she's never had cancer since. That was it. Now, I understand, and I know several of you have experience with this, that is not always the way God answers prayers for healing. And you wonder, first, I wondered, first of all, why did he let my friend go through that? Well, I think it's because God doesn't get very much credit for answer prayer. I see people get healed all the time, and they'll say, oh, well, the first test was wrong. The diagnosis was wrong. No. In some of those cases, God is healing people, and you have to always give him the glory and the credit for anything that he does. So that's one of the things. I think that it had to be verified by three different doctors, three different sets of tests, so that I would know, and everyone that knew her would know, she really had cancer, and then she didn't. So that was one of the purposes of her suffering. That was that. But the other reason I sometimes wonder is, is 
Is it because I can stand up in front of you and without a doubt tell you, I know God answers prayer. I absolutely, positively know it with my whole heart. I've seen it over and over and over again. And sometimes when he answers that prayer in a different way and takes people to heaven, we have to remember God doesn't look at taking someone to heaven as a sad thing. That's not the way he looks. It's the way sometimes we look at it. It's not the way he looks at it. So as we, as we look at that, we just have to know that God is always right. He always does the rest, best thing for all of his children. But he does answer big prayers. Don't be hesitant to ask for anything. Ask for those big prayers. In the face of her diagnosis, many of us would not have wanted to ask for total healing. But we asked for it and he gave it. So ask her. You can ask him for anything. He's not going to be mad at you or think you're unrealistic. For those of you who have not prayed very much, I'm just leaving you here. Uh, just This is Joshua Youssef's acronym for prayer, which I really, really like, and where you confess, and then you adore him, and then you thank him for things. And then the last thing, you supplicate, you ask for your petitions, you ask for what you want. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but if any of you are not used to praying and don't really know how to do a prayer like this, if you will just, you can see me after this today, or you can... Um, I'm not sure if my address is on anything. But if you can, uh, I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you on the phone. I'll meet you at Starbucks and pray with you. I'm totally unembarrassed to pray in the courtyard of the Starbucks down here. Completely unembarrassed to do that. And so, uh, or wherever. I'll be glad to meet with you and pray with you if, if you're just not used to praying. One of the things in that list that is the hardest to do, and I think even people who've been Christians for seems like all their lives, neglect is the confession part. So as you are preparing to, to pray, you can't, don't have time to do this whole page nine every day, but occasionally you need to do a heart audit. You need to confess to the Lord, and this is the best list I've ever seen that helps you examine your heart for everything you might need to be confessing. And uh, it's from Anne Graham Lott's, the book, The Daniel Prayer, which is a great book for these times. And, <clears throat> you know, it helps you examine your, your heart for ingratitude or neglect of your family or your love and material things too much or you're not taking your relationship with God seriously. It has a wonderful inventory. So that's, that's the tool I want to leave with you tonight. Number seven, the prayer of a righteous woman yields great results. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have Christ's righteousness, therefore you're a righteous woman. I don't know if that hits you, but I know when I first learned that I was righteous and I was covered in Christ's righteousness when I went into prayer, it was the most liberating thing anybody had ever told me. It's a wonderful feeling to go into prayer and not feel ashamed, but to know that you're covered with his righteousness. Number eight, you have to pray for those who despitefully use you. This is the best opportunity you will ever have to be like Jesus. I think this is one of the greatest barriers, especially for women, in their prayer lives. And that is, it's hard for us sometimes, because we get hurt, to pray for those who despitefully use us. Everybody in here has someone who's disappointed you, who has hurt you, maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally. And when you reach the point that you can truly pray for them, 
the way you would pray for someone that is your favorite person. When you can pray for them that way, your prayer life will see all new um, heights. Okay, uh, number nine. He will create beauty from the ashes of your life. Some of you have experiences that have saddened you, that have discouraged you, and it's pulling you down. It's weighting you down. Sometimes you have experiences where you felt like you brought them on yourself and you think you can't take that with you into prayer. God can save all that. And I'm not going to read all of this, but I love these verses because it tells you that he has come just for you. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Everything that has ever broken your heart, he has come to bind it up for you. Number 10, your emotions are unreliable. Make sure I'm on the right one. When you don't feel God is answering your prayers, you're relying on your emotions and not the truth. And that word feel is in large letters. Quite often people feel that their prayers are not being answered, but it's just a feeling. We know the truth. Sometimes God's timeline is a whole lot different from ours, but you can't go by your emotions. Satan's greatest tactic for women, I think, is to tell us you're not loved. And when you feel unloved, you really can't step into your blessings that well. So what I did was I put together a bunch of verses that the next time your emotions tell you that you're not loved, tells you that your prayers are not being answered, I want you to read these out loud. I want you to read these as if they were written just for you, because they were written just for you. And I want to leave that tool with you, because that's one of the things that Satan will use to keep you from praying deeply and effectively. Truth number 11, you do not have because you do not ask. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Pray about every little thing and every big big thing. Now, you're going to have days that you're just going to pray for yourself. You're going to have something, and it's going to be all about you. But if you go a whole month, and more of your prayer is about you than about others, you've got a problem in your prayer life. So pray about everything and everyone. Truth number 12. I love this one. He can open doors for you. No man can open and close doors. No man can close. I hope, I hope I'm not losing this. Okay. Let me tell you about one of the times this was illustrated for me in my life. I was going through a, a time of great financial hardship. And uh, it, I, had a, I had a baby, an infant. And the Lord had talked to me before my baby was born and said, I don't want you traveling for business anymore. All of my clients were out of state. I traveled all over the United States. And I said, okay, Lord, that's what you say. You know, so I... I I changed what I did as a consultant. I was still a consultant, but I changed what I did so that I was home most days by 3 o'clock. Most days I worked from my home, and I thought the Lord would be pretty proud of me. I thought I was doing pretty well by Him. And then He started saying, it's not enough. I want you to spend more time with that baby. I was like, Lord, I am the sole support here. Somebody's got to pay the house payment. Somebody's got to pay the utilities. I don't think you really kind of understand how it works down here for a single mom. But he kept bringing this to mind. So I knew that I needed to block out some time to go deeply into prayer with him on this, really deeply. 
At the same time, Georgia Power, who was one of my clients, they wanted me to go down and speak at something at 8 o'clock in the morning down in Savannah. And I really felt like that I was supposed to go ahead and go to Savannah the night before, even though I normally didn't travel. Mainly, I needed to get in a hotel room away from my baby, away from ringing phones, and I need to be alone with the Lord. I need to talk to him about this thing he was asking me to do, which was to cut back on work even more and spend even more time with that baby, because I did not see how it was possible. So I did that, and I, uh, the day I was to leave, I went by my mailbox on my way to Savannah, and a family member was taking care of my child, and on the way out, uh, I picked up my mail, and in it, I found out that I had a debt of $49,900 that I didn't know about, that I had not incurred, but that I was legally 100% liable for the entire amount. This was on top of the crushing debt I already had, and it was almost like, again, this is cruel and unusual punishment. Lord, how can you crush me like this? How can you put this debt, and then at the same time, all you're saying to me is work less? It just didn't make sense. So I, I was so, I think I was in shock driving to Savannah. I drove all the way to Savannah. I'll never forget going in that hotel room. And I remember um, I just barely got inside the door, dropped my bags, and dropped to the floor. Just dropped to the floor and started crying and praying. I was unintelligible. And I remember talking to the Lord kind of in a frustrated way, kind of the way Moses and Elijah and David talked. That's kind of the conversation we were having. And at one point I remember saying to him, Lord, I already make a very good rate as a consultant. I'm at the top of what you're allowed to charge people. I would have to double my rate to be able to spend less time. And I said that as if that's ridiculous. And then the Lord and I had one of those awkward silences. If you have ever been in prayer and he's asked you to do something and then he just kind of sits there and it's awkward, and you don't want to really think he's actually asking you to do what he's asking you to do. He's probably asking you to do just that. So I didn't immediately get it, and I kept trying to figure out other ways and other solutions, none of which would work. I tried to puzzle through, rebudget. I did everything other than accept what he was telling me, and I kept telling him that would not work. Everybody would just fire me. They'd be mad at me. They would yell at me. Finally, it came to me that it was the only way I could be obedient to him. So the next day, I went back to Atlanta. I got on the phone, and I doubled my rates with all my clients. Were they happy? Absolutely not. <laughs> they were not happy at all. But you know, I didn't lose one single client. No one fired me. No one really yelled at me. The Lord doubled my rate overnight, and I didn't even want to ask. God can open doors no man can open. He can close doors that are not good for you, and he is doing that in some of your lives. Truth number 13 
praying with the Holy Spirit is awesome. It's wonderful when you go into prayer that you're not alone. When Jesus left the earth, he left us with a companion, a counselor, a friend. And so this Holy Spirit that is with us, he is with us all the time. Invite him into your prayer time. Uh, Be very receptive to the Holy Spirit and just let him operate in your lives and in your prayers. You never go into prayer alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. Truth number 14, praying with a friend or a group strengthens your prayers. If you have not yet put together your little prayer group where you pray out loud with a couple of friends or maybe more, maybe a dozen friends, but even just a couple of you together, when you go into prayer and you pray out loud corporately and you say your prayer request out loud and you agree together that that's what you're praying for, it is like supercharged, turbocharged prayer. It's incredible. And so if you have not tried that yet, please do that. Do that as soon as possible. You will feel awkward the first time you do it. Everybody's a little self-conscious the first time you do it, but it is so effective. It's a whole new way to see results in your prayer life. So I really encourage you to do that. When you do pray corporately, though, I do want to warn you about a couple of things. There are two temptations when people pray together. And one is to compare yourself to other people. If you compare yourself to people who pray beautifully, then that's not, that's not what God wants you to do. Because again, he's a father who has a different way of talking with every single child he has. And I'm a very plain spoken person. When I talk to the God, it's like I'm talking to Comcast. I mean, it's just, that's that plain. So, but other people have these beautiful prayers, these beautiful ways that they pray. And I'm, I'm going to embarrass Rachel. Rachel, think man, I love to hear, my dream is that I'll go into Our Power one Wednesday night and they'll say, no one can pray tonight but Rachel. And we're going to just listen to Rachel pray all night long. If I let that intimidate me and say, I can't pray like Rachel, I would never pray out loud. So you can't compare yourself that way. You also can't compare yourself once people start praying. You know, don't open one eye and go, I don't think you should be praying for that. You know, don't be critical the other way. Just Let it go, you know? (laughs) The other temptation going into prayer, this is one of my pet peeve, is don't pray talk. Pray. When you're praying in a group, you're still only praying to the Lord. And there are people that come in there with agendas or their Sunday school lesson or verses they want. I mean, it's good to pray scripture, but they're kind of trying to teach the class. And that's not what corporate prayer is. It is a conversation with your father. So don't do that, all right? Truth number 15, he will answer you because, not because you're good, but because he is good and he loves his children, except the answer he gives you, not the one you want. Just like I did not want to hear from the Lord that the solution was I had to face my clients and double my rates. I did not, I didn't want to do that. And so I, I rejected that. You have things sometimes that the Lord is asking you to do. And he will do good things for you if you will believe him and step into that. So um, he's going to answer you. And this is why Spurgeon puts it this way. And I love these, uh, this, these words by Spurgeon. Because God is the living God, he can hear you. Because he is a loving God, he will hear you. But the best part is the last one. Because he is our covenant God, He has bound himself to hear you. He has a contract and he has covenanted with you to answer you. That's his 
duty. That's his obligation, and it is his choice. So there may be something that God is trying to answer for you. There may be a prayer you've prayed for that God has asked, uh, has put in your heart, and you don't see the answer yet. I really challenge you to look back this week and say, is he answering it? But maybe it's an answer I don't want to hear. I would ask you to look at that. I would also ask you as you go into prayer this week to think the best of God, like that friend that no matter what the circumstances look like, that your friend looks at you like you're wonderful. I want you to look at God as if he is absolutely trustworthy, just the way that friend is. Believe the best in him when you enter in prayer and you'll get his best. Thank you.